0: You're listening to Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Now, from the heart of Amish country, here's
1: Troy and Howie.
2: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Please like us on Facebook, where you can click the anchor link to leave us a voicemail. You can follow us on Twitter at StayTunedTNH. You can even email the show at staytunedtnh at gmail.com. You can find our merchandise at tchip.com and by searching Stay Tuned. A big thank you to Jesus Perez for helping to set that up for us. And if you need any artistic help, you can look him up on Facebook at Ace in the whole Signs and Graphics or Dirty Baby Original. And his website is aceintheholesigns.com. We are available on all major podcast platforms, including Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So please make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate your support. Now, let's get into the show.
1: All right, and welcome uh, to another uh, episode of Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. And, uh, well, I guess it's good morning right now, Troy, as we record, so... (laughs) Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good <laughs> night, wherever, whatever time of the day you're listening That's to, right. Joining us. That's right, in whatever part of the world, right? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, anyway, I want to uh, definitely uh, put a thank you out. Uh, we've gotten a lot of uh, listeners from our last show, and uh, or a lot of listens, I should say, from our last show, mm-hmm. and uh, in fact, it was uh, one of the better shows that we've had uh, in a long time, since probably uh, early December. Um. And I can't remember who we interviewed that day, but it was
2: uh I think I you, Sarah
1: head. I was thinking Sarah Harrelson, yeah, for yeah. Some reason. So yeah. uh but yeah, so uh yeah, great episode uh chatting with Melinda and um yeah another
2: great one lined up this one.
1: Yeah, oh. you got that right. I'm really looking forward to this one. This one is uh this one we've been waiting for, for uh quite a while, and uh and uh I, n- I don't think uh he'll disappoint when you get no. to listen to him so no we
2: finally got all our ducks lined up in a row and got this thing recorded and talked about and um well it's amazing and it's so insightful yeah and so informative and um you know just i just felt like
1: we there's probably so many more backstories we could even get into oh yet my we didn't, you
2: know what i mean like
1: yeah now and, and you think about it, i mean and you know what actually i'll, I'll talk more about this afterwards but uh but yeah, well, I won't even get into it right now. That's a whole uh, rabbit hole. <laughs> <people. laughs> but yeah, I mean I think I think um people don't realize how important this case played a role on our judicial system that is even acting today. You yeah. Know? And um, I agree. Yeah. So uh I yeah, I mean Dan, Dan provided us a lot of uh, background, and uh, he provided us a lot of history, and, uh, and really, it was almost literally in our backyard. Yeah. I mean, well. <laughs> you know, we're
2: you know in the area where we grew up as kids, and it was right there in that area. And I certainly remember traveling Moonshine Mountain many times as a kid. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, you know, my, my father had a family that lived back in Greenpoint, so we would always be traveling back through that way. Oh, lake. wow so yeah it's um it's quite a story and um i'll tell you what i don't know mr Hess, mr dan has man he he could tell a story <laughs> right you know and he can uh,
1: definitely tell a story
2: i love when he throws his little quirks in there and uh yeah can't can't wait for everybody to listen to hear the feedback on it oh
1: without a doubt so uh so why don't we uh take it right to the show and uh take it to our interview with dan yep. so that uh, good all right so with that being said Here is uh, Dan Hess and uh, Troy and I talking about the Blue-Eyed Six. All right. Well, hey, good evening and uh, welcome to another show of uh, Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. And uh, we definitely have a special guest here, uh, a guest that um, I guess it would be safe to say I've known since I was in ninth grade and uh, um, none other than... uh, High school teacher uh, Dan Hess.
0: Hey, there you go. Now, Howie, that would have been back in World War II, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. It sure feels that long ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, my I, gosh. Yeah, I too met him in ninth grade, but that was a few years after you, Howie. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. <bragged laughs> <out. conflict>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He made it. To, yeah. He made it to the Korean conflict. Oh, my. Yeah. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, after the Civil War, you got your teaching degree and, uh,
0: you know, (laughs) it was inside inside a a bubble gum wrapper and (laughs) five cents. But that gum was so stale. It was unbelievable. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Just like a bazooka Joe. Right. You know, what's kind of weird is I was going through um, I was kind of going through some of my old um, paperwork and such here at my house and I came across this yellow um, folder okay. and I looked at it and on the outside of that folder said Pittsburgh. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is. And I opened it up and here it was um, a report that I did for your class. <laughs> um, How many did you get? Uh, I got an A plus. That must be why I kept it. Um, yeah. And uh, well, back in the day, that's all I ever focused on was everything Pittsburgh and- uh,
0: pirates fan i remember
1: i I was i was so um in fact that year that i did that report because i was kind of reading through it that was the year that art rooney senior passed away
0: are you serious
1: yeah and i mentioned that in the book report and i was like oh wow that what a interesting uh (laughs) what an interesting thing to see
0: Howie, i always always thought of you as jonestown's version of manny sanguian (laughs)
1: oh uh, yes <laughs> I don't even know who that is <laughs> oh i he was a former catcher for the uh pirates back in the okay. day and yeah. i actually met him on several occasions oh, did no, you- never- yeah he's still no. around okay. real
2: quick Howie, was that the same year the slide happened
1: the slide what do you uh, mean
2: Sid Bream
1: oh oh I don't even want to talk about that no no that was my first year in college is when that oh happened. okay okay yeah so trust me yeah some people know where they were when Kennedy was shot uh yeah. I know where I was when Sid Bream made that slide to beat the, in the- <laughs> hey,
2: and also I'll have you know uh or no that wasn't the Pirates that paid Bobby Bo that was the Mets wasn't it that that got Bobby after no the ones that still pay Bobby Bonilla on Bobby Bonilla day is that the Mets oh yeah 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 it's the, yeah, that, the, the Mets that the the Pirates had already moved on from him at that point <laughs> but, uh, uh, I wanted to bust you on that one too but I can't
1: yeah I appreciate that well you know what I have a little <laughs> bit of Bobby Bonilla um, connection oh yeah uh, yeah I do um, I played Twilight baseball for the uh, Lebanon Mets. And the Lebanon Mets actually got hand me down uniforms from the New York Mets. And I actually had Bobby Bonilla's uniform. That's the oh, wow. uniform that I wore. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Would you,
0: would you fit in it?
1: Um, you know what? T- today, I'd probably be, yeah, it would probably be a little looser today. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, I fit in it. It was, uh, yeah, it was kind of neat. I never, I didn't try it. I was just like, oh my gosh, I got Bobby Bo's pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh now my. if you can
2: only get the contract that he got, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I tried, but nobody, but, you know, so, <laughs>
2: uh, so obviously, uh, we didn't have, uh, Mr. Dan Hess on here to, uh, reminisce about old baseball and stuff. Um, <laughs> we didn't, but, let's get a little bit of a background on you though. Um, what, where did you, uh, go to college? Where did you get your degree? And, and when did you start teaching?
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. After graduating from Anvil Clayton High School, I went to Messiah College, not far from here. And, uh, by golly, right out of college, uh, got a call from someone in the inside at Northern London and said, Hey, Dan, why don't you apply? Uh, why don't you apply for a, jo- a teaching job here? So I did. And, and, uh, I was hired from among quite a quantity of candidates. Uh, I'm hoping it didn't just come down to this, but it didn't hurt that the principal at the time played soccer with my dad (laughs) on the high school team. And they were two-time district champs. His name was Fred Garris. Oh yeah. My name dropped that I was Warren's son and let's just say it didn't hurt my chances. (laughs) I started teaching in, in 86 and, uh, Still trying to go strong this year with COVID has been very difficult to teach. Oh, I it's bet. exhausting, and it's just not as fun because you Absolutely. can't read you can't read each everybody's uh, 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 co- cognizance level, and you can't tell uh, what they're what they're thinking, and so that's not really yeah. fun. So I hope we get back to some normalcy. And probably yeah. hard
2: to understand what they're saying sometimes, honestly. Mm-hmm. With uh, with the mask sometimes, I'm sure
1: that makes things cluttered. and
0: Absolutely. You've got that. Right. Um,
1: and let's face it, the attention span can't be easy either for the yeah. kids.
0: It's not good. And until we do attendance and get everybody on on the Zoom and the hybrid mm-hmm. m- model, my curriculum is only about 80% the qu- the quantity of material. Mm-hmm. Just of- wow. So I've, I've had to drop some really fun lessons in order to get maybe a central material cover
2: yeah sure yeah. wow well let's talk about one of those fun lessons that i had um mm-hmm. well you too howie you had this as well yep um it's the blue-eyed six and um I, i'll tell you what this story is so captivating to me mm-hmm. and I guess it was captivating to everybody because uh, before we started recording here, you had even said that this even got to the worldwide level,
0: correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This uh, caught fire in the Northeast, spread to, to uh, the Rocky Mountains, and uh, even uh, got into Europe as well. And uh, uh, do we want to mention the Arthur Conan Doyle connection? Or- sure, we can right yeah. now, absolutely. Yeah, um, uh, Sherlock Holmes even has an episode called... Um, the uh, redheaded league where uh, uh, Conan Doyle gives a little subtle shout out because of this story and puts one of his characters set in Lebanon pencil. <laughs> oh, there's our claim to fame. Okay? Yeah. yeah. murder. <laughs> Many have heard about Lebanon now. Yeah, um,
1: exactly. And you know what? That accent kind of says it all too, because what the majority of folks were uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, coming from Germany uh, and immigrating as probably mostly farmers to this area. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. All yeah,
0: yeah, our miners. Yeah, all miners. Charles Drews himself came from Holstein, Germany, and yeah. after being in a couple locations, found, found residents here. And uh, most of these guys were fluent German speakers and were very broken, nothing more than a couple years of, of language. And I would say that today's fifth grader, has a way better command of the English language than any of these men did.
1: Yeah.
2: Wow. I can yeah,
0: imagine. Yeah, it's impressive.
2: So you, you mentioned Charles Drews there. Let's, let's start off with him. Um, sure. Born in 1820, and yeah. um, he was a Civil War veteran. And uh, why yeah. don't you tell us a little bit about
0: him? OK. Well, what's interesting is Drews, uh, Drew's had a great singing voice. And his dad also didn't think singing's a cool thing for a boy to do. So, at the age of 16 in Holstein, Germany, uh, what a great name, okay? It's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a moving name. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. He was such a good singer. He <laughs> was leading his church choir. He was the director of the church choir at age 16, but dad said, nope, kid, you need to learn a trade. So, mm-hmm. what trade was chosen for this kid in Holstein, Germany? to be a butcher. So, <laughs> doesn't he, get any better than no, that. It doesn't. He was a real cut up.
1: Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, but
0: then, oh my. He ends up serving time uh, fighting against the Danish army. There was a German Danish conflict in, I think it was 1848. Shortly after that, I guess he was tired of meat, tired of uh, fighting. So he came to America where he ended up, Fighting in the Civil War and being a, <laughs> a butcher for <laughs> Gabriel Brandt, the ringleader of the Blue So what oh. goes on, comes around.
1: Yeah, you said it. Oh my gosh! Uh. So it just makes you wonder, like the psyche of people back in that day. You know, like wonder what was going through his head. Like he, like you said, he fought in the Civil War. In fact, uh, if you go to uh, Gettysburg, uh, you know, National Park. You know, he's on the uh, Pennsylvania Monument there. His name is on the Pennsylvania Monument. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, I mean, probably everything that he has seen in the Civil War probably messed with his mind a little bit. It had to.
0: Could be. As a flag bearer, if I were a Confederate soldier, I'd probably be wanting to take that guy out so that the opposing uh, regiment, the 93rd PA, I'll put a right. little for that. Uh, so then they would have some... Uh, miscommunication so apparently it was shot out of his hand several times and he did come home at one point during the war he heard rumor that his wife Sabina whose maiden name was Kreiser uh, was cheating on him and he looked her in the eye and she said no I'm not I love you then they probably conceived another child because they had 11 total then he went back to the war again uh, and then came back to find his wife had squandered their meager earnings and they had to move away and ended up in Union Township. Okay. Union Town Gap with 11 children. Wow. <laughs> Colley, do I'm you have leave. 11 children? I don't.
1: I have two oh, children. And okay, uh, in fact, one's a senior in high school as we speak at Northern Lebanon. So
2: Thank
1: you. Thank you. <laughs> that's excellent. Well, yes.
2: I mean, I, I'm. I'm um, if you put ours together, we're halfway there out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we got, uh, we got uh, a little ways to go here. Okay. Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> yeah, I, I have four myself. So, um, nice. and, you know, wow. Yeah. It can be, it can be a handful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I can't literally. imagine what
1: 11 would be like.
0: <laughs> no, imagine having your own football team. Now, I will yeah, say, exactly.
1: I will say my dad is one of 11. Okay. So, uh yeah. Yeah. yeah I never had.
0: There were larger families in the past. Right. And yet, poverty was so widespread in rural areas like this that. That that complicated and aggravated the need for, for food and the need for income which right. ends up becoming a motive for some of the things we're going to look at.
2: Absolutely. Now you said that he was a butcher for Israel Brandt.
0: Well, yeah, Brand, Israel.
2: I, go ahead. Talk talk I'm to sure, us
0: about Brandt. Yeah, Israel Brandt moved into the area after having uh, been a tailor. But he wasn't cut out for the job. <laughs> uh, and then he, he ran he bartended in Lebanon. He he ran the Washington House in Lebanon. Really? Yeah. Then he was a part of, in Meyers Town. But he went out to Indiana and I, Iowa and farmed. He was just a dismal a content guy with that. Huh. Then when he went out to Illinois, he was fixing a threshing machine and his left arm got ripped off. Jeez. So here's a here's a man that tall for his age his era, 5'10", 5'11", he was probably the tallest of these guys, mm-hmm. and he comes into this area, Indian Town Gap, already with a, a bit of a devious mind, he needed someone to provide meat for his customers at his tavern
1: yeah.
0: in Town Gap, and so he ended up tapping tapping uh, Charles Drews on, on the shoulder to do his butchering, and one guy who did odd jobs for him was a gentleman named Joe Raber, a poor soul. <laughs> He gave some kind jobs to around around the tavern as well, and as we know, I'm segwaying in here. That's the guy who's going to die because of all this.
1: Oh wow, Thanks. yeah, a oh, way just, to give it away. I was going to say he gave away the <laughs> plot. I mean, uh, there's a the
0: spoiler shame on you.
1: You know what though? You, I mean, okay, now we're starting to see the connection because uh, Troy and I were talking about, you know, how did all these guys who were all different ages somehow link up? Sure. to get together and, and come up with this payoff. So we, yeah. we learned about Charles Drew's and Israel Brandt and how they connected. Yeah. Um, now, how does, uh, how does Frank Stickler, Henry Wise sure. and, and um, you know, Hummel Hummel, Zechman, George Zekman. Yep. You know, how do they come into play in, in yeah. regards to being connected to each other?
0: Love the question. All these men combined after their deaths left 30 total children oh to, to have their genes and DNA passed on. That's why so many of my students over the years have said, Hey, I'm related. <laughs> I don't, I don't doubt it. There's right. <laughs> truth to it. But with the large families coupled with being temp workers in coal mines and as charcoal burners and woodcutters, uh, you're not going to earn a lot of money to do that. So when you're at the bar drinking off a rough day and you hear a, a guy with one arm who's flamboyant and is a great storyteller who also says, do you want to you make it rich quick? That was, that, that was a 19th century version of a Ponzi scheme. Right. And they all said, yeah, let's do it. Because they, like all of us, are prone to temptation or from fear or re- revenge. All the motives that are still felt in murders today came to the foreground in a perfect storm mm. in a tavern called Brant's Tavern
2: ah now real quick now this this is this branch tavern this was in cold springs um now cold springs was was this a place that a lot of people look to go or did that only happen a little bit later because you hear the cold springs resort but yeah. that was that was that the cold springs resort then or was that did that only come later
0: yeah boy i wish i could help you a, a buddy of mine who used to teach you guys might have had him jim logan oh yeah and, yep. He's a fantastic source. He and his son wrote a book about the whole Roush Gap, but I know there was a train that came in, and it was sort of a getaway resort area, sort of like a miniature version of a uh, Mount Gretna, or to to uh, Andrew Carnegie what the what the South F- uh, Forks Fishing and Hunting Lodge was to the rich people of the Pittsburgh area. So right. yeah, it was a it was a resort on a small scale, mm-hmm. uh, but he he was mostly feeding the local people who were coming uh, to it, maybe on the weekend to en- enjoy a meal together. I'd like you guys okay. to know one little story would be that the thievery kind of started with the stealing of chickens and then the stealing of some beef. And uh, up up in Pine Grove, there was a couple robberies of a jewelry store. And uh, that'll come into play when we talk about a secret note, if we get to that. Okay, uh, but, absolutely. But uh, these kind of things all uh, seemed to create an addiction and a desire to to do more and a flippancy like, hey, we're immune, we're we're invulnerable here and nothing will happen. And some of the locals would even come into the to the bar, to Brant's tavern, like a guy named John Trout. He came in once and smelled some sweet potatoes that Brandt was cooking, and and Brandt and the others who were probably planning the murder at this point Mm -hmm. Uh, they they said uh, hey why don't you sit down and have some of them if they smell that good trout ate some sweet potatoes and he said those are the best sweet potatoes I've ever tasted and the guys just said great see you later when trout left they burst into laughter he had just eaten his own sweet potatoes that they had pilfered so that's just an example of kind of uh the confidence these guys had they just didn't think they were going to get caught yeah and you know of the the guys who testified in the trial there are 58 witnesses subpoenaed 50 oh my gosh 58 is still a record to my knowledge now i'm willing to be cr- corrected on that but but many of the witnesses were locals who kind of could tell that the murder had happened but they for fear of being shot or killed mm-hmm. they just remained silent for a couple months after uh, the fatal day.
1: Yeah. I mean, 58, even in today's day and age, that would be considered overkill in the courtroom, you know, no pun intended, obviously, but you know, that would, that would be true overkill in regards to, uh, too much, too much information for the juror, you know, the jury.
0: Yeah. That's so, a good
1: point. yeah. so you gave,
2: you gave that background on all these smaller crimes that were building up to this bigger one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you were saying that this, they, they were very poor. They didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. So Brandt has this great idea. Um, everybody's on board, I'm assuming, or maybe not so right away.
0: Well, uh, Drew's in his confession after after the uh, trial and the verdict of guilt, Drew's uh, says that he, uh, he kind of reneged on his desire to do the killing, but then they started threatening him, saying that if you don't, we will take care of you and bump you off. Oh. And so that's when he supposedly went to uh, Frank Stickler uh, and just said to this ruffian kind of guy, "Hey, do, for a hundred bucks, do you want to do you want to bump off Joe Rayburn?" And supposedly Frank Stickler, and he admitted this later in his twenty-eight page confession, uh, <laughs> which was which was printed posthumously in the Lebanon uh, newspaper. Yeah. Uh, he said, yeah, I'm not afraid to kill anybody. So mm. Dickler was kind of brought in as the thug, the 19-year-old tough guy, linebacker kind of build. So
2: he wasn't originally part of the plan?
0: No, not really. He came into the picture. He, his, his parents grew up in this area, a very loving, kind family, but he had a way with the women, supposedly. Like you two, I remember you two. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: okay, on both of your arms. maybe, yeah. maybe
2: this. Uh, maybe your storytelling isn't as good as we remember.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Troy. Well, go ahead. Apparently, <laughs> had a way with the uh, the women, and also, if someone said, "Hey, are you a tough guy?" he he couldn't say no. Uh, his 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 judgment. Was not consistently in his heart. <laughs> right. How did
2: he know? How did he know Frank Stickler, Charles Drews? When I say he,
0: well, if you want to be fully honest, uh, Drews probably understood that his oldest daughter Lena, whose husband was way at the army, uh, was lonely for some affection, and he probably knew that her smile after a visit in the woods. They went out in the woods together a couple of times, and she denied in test. She was the only witness in day two of the trial. Oh. But, was lena uh, wow. and well, she was cross-examined by the defense and they said didn't you shack up with this guy and she said we were together at a camp but nothing occurred okay gotcha uh, yeah your listeners might want to purchase a edna carmian's book the blue-eyed mm-hmm. six she was a lambda valley college professor who wrote the book in 74 it's oh. really a good a really a nice source to use okay yeah. interesting but did so I- or could i answer your question what your question was no you did you did
2: like how did charles charles drew's knew frank stickler because yeah. his daughter was hanging around her
0: sure yeah there you go um
2: yeah so i, I get what was the plan i guess here, here, i mean yeah. let's just get right to That's it what was good. the plan what what were they going to do um yeah. yeah were they just hope were they were they just impatient but they get greedy yeah.
0: like well, when they took out this assessment insurance. Uh, five or six policies totaling about $8,000. Uh, some sources say it was more than that, but they assumed that this guy they were choosing, this poor soul who lived in a tiny shanty hut just up from the hotel uh, with a live-in housemaid named Polly Kreiser, uh, hmm. they, uh, they thought that mother nature would take care of him, but the guy lived too long. Now, frankly, when you take out insurance and a guy hoping he'll die and he doesn't die within two months. It sounds like you, you aren't very patient there. <laughs> they wanted money. And with the assessment, you had to keep paying uh, a premium every time someone else in those co- corporate groups died. So they were paying ongoing fees and that got the best of them. So they said, Drews, it's time to do it now, buddy. So he got Stickler and uh, other plans had been concocted too involving ether and some other things like that but mm-hmm. finally they went to his shack and said on a saturday evening in december about 4 p.m they said hey we want to go and get some tobacco uh, at kreiser's store okay that would be on present day mclean road out in the indiantown
1: yeah campus. and mm-hmm. uh,
0: they said uh, hey if you if you go with us we'll buy you some tobacco now, they said this, obviously, in, in German. I won't attempt to do that in German, but <laughs> apparently he, he either bought this uh, lie or maybe because of the two guys being there, maybe he knew his death was coming, who knows? But they, <laughs> they, they walked down a, a, a past Drew's house and, and across the Indian Town Creek where there were two 12-inch planks uh, in water that was about 17 or inches, 18 inches deep, now, by now, it's 5 p.m., and mm-hmm. that's when Joe Raber died. Uh, in Frank Stickler's testimony, if I'm not getting too far ahead of us, no, go for he later confessed that he held Raber under the water for up to 10 minutes, mm-hmm. holding, holding on to his clothing so that there would be no pinch marks in his skin.
1: So mm. they really went above and beyond to make this look accidental. In fact, the coroner uh, originally ruled it an accident and it wasn't until, what, two months later yeah. uh, that Drew's own relative, his uh, son-in-law, yeah. um, Joseph Peters, actually decided to report this.
0: Isn't that crazy?
1: Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they would have literally gotten away with it. Yeah. Um, and I guess my question would be, did they receive the insurance money yet?
0: No, because what's interesting, when uh, when when the insurance guy uh, came and was a, a part of verifying that it was Joe Raver who died, he overheard Frank Stickler in the back of the bar afterwards saying, hey, I want my money now, oh. I need it soon. And that came up in the trial, like on the third or fourth day, no. From from day one, there were murmurings and sensibilities in the community that there was a mystery there. The Lebanon Courier paper even mentioned that, and so money never came. Wow! Yeah,
1: very interesting. And uh, I guess here's a silly I, question too. Um, sure. Maybe we should have started off this uh, episode with the question, but the blue-eyed six did they, they all had blue eyes?
0: Yeah, that's kind of crazy. On Isn't day it? four. Day four of the trial, it was in the northeast corner of Lebanon, 8th and Cumberland Street. Uh, It has been a bank since then. I'm not sure. Is it still an active bank? Uh, I don't think it's active
1: anymore. I don't think. 8th
0: and Cumberland, you said? Yeah, 8th and Cumberland. No, it's not a
1: bank anymore.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, On day four of the trial, one of the reporters was from the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he just decided to look down the row of men who all, I'm sure their attorneys said, you aren't going to say one stinking word in this trial. <laughs> you can say we'll indict you. We'll, we'll find you guilty. So they were quiet. But, but this quiet reporter was observant. And he just happened to notice the first guy, hey, he has blue eyes. Now, am I correct? Blue eyes are somewhat of a rarity. Like I'm a- Sure, partner.
1: they are. I mean, I got
0: blue eyes, but- oh. <laughs> 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 All right. And then he just looked to the next guy. And after seeing all six of them, this Philadelphia reporter mentioned it in his in his uh, daily log. And that's when the name stuck after day four of the trial. And so that, the, that is
2: incredible because it is rare.
0: Oh, and the rarity of it and yeah. the creativity of that name just electrified audiences all over the place.
1: Yeah. And, that, and and you know what? That probably is what drew or got the attention of people outside of Lebanon. Just that title, the the blue mm-hmm. eyed six, you yeah. know, that's probably what kind of grabbed at people's attention.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And um,
2: real quick, you had mentioned the assessment insurance. Um, tell us a little bit how that worked real quick, because okay. if I'm not mistaken, like Joe Raber would have had to know that they were like They, they yeah. couldn't just get this policy without him yeah. knowing about it,
0: right? Well, What helped Brandt to convince Raber was this. Brandt had given Raber some gopher jobs around the tavern, mm. and he I'm sure he fed Raber, and so there was an element of trust there, and right. so mm. the thought of, may we take an insurance policy out on you, and we'll even take care of you till you die, Raber, if he was naive enough, said, yeah what the heck I don't care you might as well do that so mm-hmm. so uh, it created a motive for murder but Raber did have to say yes and he he did agree to the plan
1: that's crazy
0: and you know and, what um and, Howie, and, and, I have a I, question for you Howie yeah if, go ahead if if Troy were allowed to take out insurance in your name and promise <laughs> to take care of you till you died I know you have blue eyes and all that would you, <laughs> did you trust troy to prepare your vittles well
1: you know i've always thought troy was a good uh-huh. honest hard-working person that you know he seems to kind of follow the uh the the state of the law uh-huh. um, but mm-hmm. if he wants to take money out of me I, it's gonna draw some questioning uh-huh. you know so yeah i i might have some i might have a couple questions for troy <laughs> Good. good. So,
0: call,
2: yes. so now we're at the now we're at the trial. The murders okay. happened. Yeah. Why were they all tried together? What what was? Why did that happen?
0: I guess their defense attorneys determined that uh, it would be with the with the concept that you're innocent until proven guilty. It might be harder to to prove six men guilty. They figured there's a chance for all of us to survive if there's a hole in any one of these. Uh, people's stories. That would be my hunch on that, but as it turned out, only one of them was eventually acquitted. So, so five did go down anyway.
2: Yeah, and, you and the, one, what, and the why, one, yeah, go ahead, Troy. I was just going, and the one that was acquitted was George Zekman. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say too. You know what's really ironic? Um, we're going to be dropping this episode, this podcast, on Sunday. Um, sure. More than likely, dropping on Sunday to be listened to. Yeah. And uh Sunday will be April 18th and Ooh. uh there's a coincidence there because that's when the first day of the trial began really? for the blue-eyed six. Hmm. Like so um we didn't yeah. even try that Troy how could it be
0: It was meant to be.
1: It was just meant to be. You got that right. <laughs>
2: so the trial happens um is there anything you want to share specifically about the trial before we get what to the results so, of the baby? trial and
0: so many funny things happened. Like, for example, uh, uh, part part way through day one, Polly Kreiser was asked to testify. She was the uh, live-in housemaid of the victim, and uh, she kept covering her mouth. and The judge had to Judge Henderson had to say, "Would you please remove the shawl from your mouth?" She finally re- re- revealed this gap in her teeth and said, through broken English, "I have a toothache." And, <laughs> oh my. And she was dismissed from the courthouse because of her toothache. So (laughs) then Drew's Drew's own daughter testified against her. I mean, wouldn't that be very challenging to testify against your own parent? And then his son, Penrose, testified, but he was going through puberty and his voice kept cracking like this. (laughs) So there was probably some comic relief throughout the whole trial.
1: Yeah, Um, I will say, though, I guess when it came to the verdict, yeah, um, it it only took, from what I understand, just a little bit over five hours to reach a verdict.
0: Five hours, and they came back and said guilty in the first degree. Now the defense requested a polling of the of the uh, jurors, so that meant for every defendant that all twelve had to verbally talk. So that day, oh. seventy two times it rang out guilty in the first degree.
1: Interesting.
0: So. The verdict came in, but did anybody
2: ever question the fact that maybe Joe Peters was making this all up because he had found out that his wife was having an affair with one of these guys?
0: Yeah, the, the defense did their due, due diligence in bringing Joe Peters up, uh, or rather in the cross examination several times. And really, there are probably six things that bring into question the legitimacy of of Joe Peters testimony could i just uh, expound on those just briefly absolutely oh Does yeah I'll, I'll be as brief as possible that's okay go for it he is almost definitely a guy who was a wall from the army he never returned from his furlough doesn't that bring into question his character a bit right second, sure second he was absolutely undeniably drunk when he witnessed this when he allegedly witnessed this murder okay He was stone drunk, as was his wife, Lena, Mm -hmm. as verified by numerous witnesses. Now, obviously, you can be drunk and still see things. okay? but sometimes (laughs) when you're drunk, you might be seeing two things. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sure. Yeah. The third piece was the the witnessing of this was at about 5 p.m. in December 7. Sometimes it's pretty dark at 5 p.m. in December. Especially in a wooded area. Yeah, in the mountains. Here's a fourth thought for you to stew on and your listeners to think about this. The window he looked out of had a rag stuffed in one of the panes, and another pane had been busted out and broken. So the Hmm. visibility would have come into question as well. As a matter of fact, the defense brought in a replicated window as Exhibit A, not the Mm -hmm. actual window, but a replicated window, hoping that the jury would have some degree of doubt cast in their verdict. Right obviously didn't work now just two more things one would be uh there was a a, a a love triangle happening here the tryst between lena and 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 frank stickler might have created a motive for joe peters to want to turn state's evidence just to get back at frank stickler yeah sure look at that piece guys and then finally here's another piece we should look at um, um Joe Peters, according to Frank Stickler, was a part of previous death plots to kill Joe Peters, including buying some ether. Now, we could argue that maybe Frank Stickler, just in bitterness, wanted to get back at Peter's, but clearly, Joe Peters' testimony is not crystal clear. There are some gray areas that would cause us today to ask, would five of these men today all be executed or might they be serving a lesser sentence like life mm-hmm. without parole
1: sure well, i mean it would definitely make a lot more headlines
0: mm-hmm. knowing
1: that you know this person was drunk or and and also mm-hmm. the uh, the wife or the daughter i guess in that That's case elaborate. um i guess another thing too you you talked about um you know how this made some world news through you know through the uh, movie and the mention and so forth Uh, Another thing that this made, um, you know, headlines, in fact, this was a first, uh, that this is the first time in recorded history of common law uh, of the United States and England, uh, Mm -hmm. that six people were convicted of murder on a single Mm -hmm. indictment. Crazy. Isn't it? Mm It is. It, it is absolutely a fascinating story. I mean, you know, so Lebanon's in the headlines on quite a few things, I guess you could yeah. say. We have Bologna,
0: <laughs> and, the <laughs> and the Howie and Troy show. Oh, exactly. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. It's about time someone acknowledged us. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So
2: now the verdict's in. Yeah. So now I'm guessing the lawyers are asking for a retrial or they're asking. So. Is there another trial? What happens
0: there? Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a follow-up trial for one of the guys, George Zackman. Okay. Now pretty quick on Stickler and Drew's who were ironically the youngest and the oldest men mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. this group, the others were in their twenties, thirties, uh, Brant was 44, but the, the ringleader, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a, a retrial was granted for George Zackman. uh, uh, it, it seemed to the uh, court system that there was just not enough mention of his name in the plannings, and the, the witnesses at Brant's Tavern often neglected his name at the meeting, so he got a high-powered attorney from Pottsville, a good-looking old guy with silver hair who knew how to work the jury, mm. and he he very likely, in in Wise's testimony on the gallows, right before he hanged, said, We were all guilty. But George Ekman and in, in the retrial was was acquitted and quietly and quickly went back to, to uh, this area to, to the seclusion of his wife and his children again. And then, did you guys know, about seven years later, he had developed a terrible case of boils. Oh. And he died a miserable, horrible, ugly death. And the descendants of the Blue-eyed Six, including my father, tells tells me this story. Hey, by the way, I was on the good side of the law. My, uh, <laughs> my great 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 grandfather was a guy named Yordy, and he was one of the oh. constables who went out on the, the morning of uh, February 12, I think it was, to arrest these guys and waken them from their beds. Isn't Did that
1: something? <laughs> my dad
0: said the story has continued down that uh, that uh, Zekman's death was God's way of punishing him for being a part of the blue eyed six. Wow. Men. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I don't, i
2: only 39 years old.
0: Yes. Right.
2: Yeah. So, so I mean, young man. Yeah. yeah. And
0: well. obviously
2: medicine isn't what it is today. So <laughs> uh, what he had very possibly could have been cured today, but as you say, you know, it, it probably was, you know, in a way God's will yeah. that, you know, you need to pay for what you did,
0: you yeah, know. Could it, it very be. If God is a just God, he maybe took care taking care of business. <laughs> <laughs> now, so
2: why why the difference in the execution dates?
0: Okay. Well, the thought was that the two killers did the actual killing, but they wanted to allow time for appeals in case the procuring of the assurance, which was legal at the time. Mm-hmm. Might might have some sort of new evidence that would uh, lead to acquittal. So that's why Mm. the two separate dates occurred.
2: So Drew's and Stickler were executed on November 14th of 1879. Friday, And then just,
0: Mm.
2: yeah, Friday. And I heard um, there was some sort of mishap or something at first where it was
0: supposed to happen. And
2: one of the ropes was too short or too long or no. Yeah.
0: yeah, isn't that interesting? Uh, uh, one of them uh, uh, allegedly prayed, uh, please don't let the rope slip. I want to die of a broken neck. And and that did happen. Whereas oh. for the other four who were hanged, they all died of strangulation, which was oh about my. 10 to 15 minutes till the coroner pronounced them dead. Isn't but, wow. Uh, yeah, the, the morning of their death, uh, the 150 tickets, which were issued for free, mm-hmm witnessing of this we're all used up but dozens more people were watching from every vantage point into the jail yard which is now uh where the current farmer's market is on Eighth street if you ever go in the basement of the farmer's market there's a men's room a restroom down there that's part of the foundation that was the prison cells get out interesting and you can uh, channel the the spirits of the Blue Eyed Six by going down there and just saying, "Hey, you guys!" Still it? <laughs> well no, that'll
2: lead you us know, into another question. Um, we'll okay. get to that real quick. But because of this trial, yeah, the assessment insurance was at, after this trial and after they found out what they were trying to do, this this nixed that whole idea. There's there's if, no more assessment insurance.
0: If there's one good thing that came from this, it was the the awakening that you should only be allowed to to uh, ensure people that are in your legal custody or who who you probably won't want to see die
1: and that became nationwide law didn't it
0: yes it absolutely did
1: okay that's interesting and and you kind of went down an interesting uh rabbit hole there with uh going into the basement and channeling the spirits what are your thoughts when it comes to uh like the old wise tales or the uh the ghost stories when it comes to like the blue-eyed six or even moonshine church uh, in general. What are your thoughts on that kind of stuff?
0: I'm I'm not a big paranormal supporter, though. It's fun stories, but, you know, supposedly if you walk around the Moonshine Church a couple times at night, you see eyes hovering, and I've never tried or thought about that, but part of the reason I don't is none of the Blue-Eyed Six are even buried there.
1: Exactly. Right. I I was
2: saying that to Howie, too.
0: The the people buried at the Blue-Eyed Six Moonshine at the, I'm sorry, at the Moonshine Church uh-huh. are the victim, Joe Raber Charles Drew's wife, Sabina and uh, on a side note uh, Joseph Johns a, a fugitive slave mm-hmm. who, who came into this area and was a woodcutter out near the Boy Scout camp. You know what I mean? I know That's exactly.
1: In fact, I was movie. telling Troy ha- Howie was story. telling me the story Yeah, about, he's yeah.
0: there too so, Yeah, yeah you, he yeah. was
1: nicknamed Old Black Joe
0: Yeah Sure. And uh, what do you think did? 113? Is that what it was? I believe it was. It was definitely That's incredible during t- that time. Yeah. You guys should do talk about him in an ensuing uh, podcast.
1: Yeah. And actually I know an expert on that person, um, Joseph John. So that, that definitely would be an interesting story. There, there's Just,
0: one for you in the future uh,
1: without a doubt. Uh, and also too um, now, which one was it that was buried in the uh, backyard? of his. Yeah. Franklin Stickler.
0: Frank Stickler's uh, body, uh, no no one was interested afterwards, so his parents, his mother, mm-hmm. drove in from the gap in a horse and buggy and picked up his body and brought it back and buried it in their backyard. Isn't uh, that something? And would go out each night to make sure it was safe. She kept a pile of stones there. And now the family, more recently, Uh, They have put a permanent spot there that if you haven't gone there, you want to go out to McLean Road and just pay your respects there. It's really nicely protected by a small chain link set of poles. Yeah, it
1: wasn't at one time. I can tell you that. Uh, Speaking on... (laughs) <laughs> um, evidence because um i don't know if you remember uh dean brown i he and i graduated oh, together and yeah. uh yeah. and dean and i one day because dean lived in that area oh, and uh yeah and uh and we used to run together we used to do a little bit of uh, mountain right. running and such and uh And I was, and one day we're like, you know what, let's see if we can go find the the grave site of uh, this guy. And you know what, I guess I can kind of blame you because you got us interested in this, man. Uh, (laughs) But but we went searching and searching and uh, we did eventually find the grave. But before we found it, uh, we ended up walking a little bit too far off of that property. And uh, that was back in the day when it was a full-time military base. Yeah. And um, we had uh, we had a, a person in camouflage meeting us with a oh. gun oh, uh, <laughs> ready and loaded and uh, giving us a warning on, you know, or questioning why we were on their property. Oh. And uh, yeah, so we explained and they were cool with it. But <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a, that was a close call. I mean, we could have really uh, we could have gotten into a sticky situation for sure How about that yeah
2: and the other thing that was interesting too about the moonshine church thing and and the spirits and whatever is mm-hmm. that church wasn't even there um when yeah. the blue-eyed six were there that yeah. was only built in the 60s correct
0: sure yeah and i i'm gonna trust you on that one but yeah there's too many okay. holes in it. the the story itself is so good we don't need to embellish it <laughs> i the agree you're right are documentable yeah
1: now here's a here's another question and maybe you know this or maybe you don't but i'm always uh, i love history and i'm uh mm-hmm. i'm very much into when i go on vacation i like to know the history of the area that i'm uh attending and um you know and it's no different than that around here and one mm-hmm. of the things i always wonder is are there any structures? I know the Washington Tavern, for example, is still standing, uh, but are there any structures such as uh, raber 's home or other people 's homes that are still up and about and functional?
0: yeah yeah, well, uh, some of stickler's de- de- uh, descendants have told me that if I take a certain number of steps heading north to Northeast, I think they said, from his actual grave that I might be able to find some stones that were part of the Stickler's foundation. So I did that uh, a couple of months ago with a buddy. Now, uh, Howie, nobody in camo stopped me, but (laughs) I looked both ways before going over there. And I I honestly would love to say I found something, but to be perfectly honest, I did not. Now, the St. Joseph Springs itself though, there yes. is a location with a nice little marker and a little brief history that local history buffs can see that there is some water trickling out there. So it oh. does it does give you the feeling that you might be right there. It's not far from Stickler's Gravesite. It's just about um, a quarter of a mile further down that road. And then you bear to the right. OK, interesting. Interesting. I,
1: I
2: was watching a YouTube video and uh, I'll give credit to him. He, he goes around to different places in the area. He's called the Wandering Woodsman. Oh, okay, and um, he had found the foundation, I guess, of the hotel. And oh, it was really? huge, and it was very huge, cool. and I, and I couldn't believe how big it was in this area. That okay to, to think an area like Cold Springs, and for people yeah. that don't know in yeah. the area, I don't. Could you describe it a little bit? I don't know. I mean, it's just it's in the, in the middle, middle of nowhere, nowhere. Yeah, in right. the mountains, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very and very to think well, that area. this was such a resort, and and according to his tale, is. I, I, like I said, I don't know if this is prior to the Blue-Eyed Six or after, yeah. but he said that a lot of women, this would be like their weekend getaway, and they'd come up here and it would be like a spot to them. Like, okay,
1: fascinating. So,
2: I mean, it's it's just really crazy to think, and I guess there was some healing water in the springs that they would say that, there, you know, it would help heal their bodies or whatever. Okay. So, it, it's yeah. just really interesting to think that something like that was in this area, you know? Yeah. like
1: was definitely... <clears throat> Dan, I, I appreciate. Um, in fact, I was even telling Troy this last week, um, you know, it's I'm really thankful for people like you that not only keeps the history alive in this area, but is willing and enjoys doing what they do uh, mm-hmm. to keep that history alive. I mean, it just means a lot, mm-hmm. you know, that cool. we're able to continue talking about it and it's people yeah. like yourself um is the reason why you know that we're still able to talk
0: about it I appreciate that i i i uh, was kind of you. history has a way of making you uh more excited i i even think like as i get older mm-hmm. my wife likes to watch some history documentaries with me you know yeah yeah
1: <laughs> same same with my wife my wife is now like i mean she was never really into history until she yeah. met me and uh mm-hmm. you know and Every time we go somewhere, we always try, you know, I always try to educate her on certain areas yeah. or, or whatever, especially like yeah. when we, you know, both of my boys were in Boy Scouts. <laughs> in fact, uh, they, well, one's an Eagle Scout and one's right. about to be an Eagle Scout right. and, uh, and, you know, their, their interest and their, their journeys, you know, whether mm-hmm. it was camping out at uh, Gettysburg or, or going on other trips where they can learn the local history or other pieces of history. Uh, it just kind of, you know, brought the interest to my wife, brought the interest, you know, even more interest to um, me yeah. as well. That's cool. So yeah, it is.
0: Two things yeah. that might pique continued interest for your viewers, uh, your listeners rather, one would be sure. this, the, the poverty was so s- strong in this area that after the death of Charles Drews, mm-hmm. the, Sabina needed a source of income and her family decided that curiosity seekers for 10 cents, they could walk upstairs to the attic and look out the same window. And it makes me wonder if Get I out. if I ever pay the ultimate price, would my wife charge people <laughs> to come in the house so she can put food on the table? Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it? For, oh. for a dime, you could look out where Joe Peters looked out. Wow. And then the second piece is, Charles Drews was a human being and he cared about his wife and his family right before his death, Mm -hmm. he gave a secret note to the guard, the night watchman, and said, please give this to to Israel Brandt. And uh, he gave the note to Israel Brandt, and Brandt tucked it away, and the guard watched him later take it out and pretend to tear it up, but he tore up another piece of paper, so the guard later took it and gave it to the newspaper. And in that secret note, it says in broken English to Israel Brandt, I want you to take care of my wife. If you ever are acquitted or escape because Brandt was hatching an escape plan. Oh. He even <laughs> had a wig and he and Hummel were digging a hole in the tun- a tunnel to get out, but they never did escape. But <laughs> they, they were to go out to a hidden stash underneath some sheet iron near some big rocks in the gap in the <laughs> Indian town gap area. And there were buried things in there, according to Drew, some cigars, some gold watches and some suits of clothing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, in this letter, uh, Drew's is asking, Brandt, would you please, if you get that stuff, would you try and hawk it and give my wife some of the money? So even right before his death, he was thinking about his wife. So there's something tender about that, too. Yeah, sure, we'll absolutely. And and, 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 you, and you know
2: what? Another thing you shared, Howie,
1: go ahead. I'll, I That's no, okay. My, my thought too is I wonder if uh, those items were actually found at those big yeah. rocks.
0: Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing to have someone find I mean, it would all be- Find it today? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but if, yeah. if you could find something that there could be evidence that it was connected to that, think of the, uh, the nationwide interest that would be born. out. Absolutely.
2: You said now, what I was going to say is another piece that we kind of didn't cover and I thought was really interesting is um, why don't you tell us what happened with Lena and Joseph Peters after all this went down?
0: Well, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph Peters, uh, right before turning state's evidence, they hung low for a while and then they left and went, I guess, to Hummelstown. He he later admitted he he left and went away because he was afraid of being killed. But on the other side of the, after the uh, executions, uh, he and Lena had some rough times and, uh, uh, he left her. He left her, and hmm. she she was only like 24 by then, and she fell in love with a guy named John Stickler, Frank, <laughs> Frank Stickler's younger brother.
2: Oh my goodness!
0: And when they got married and had six kids. Now the first child they had, the name of the first child was Frank.
1: yeah there is there's nothing right about that story you know what i mean it is it is wrong morally in every single way
0: yeah nobody's getting an eagle scout for that (laughs) it doesn't i mean
2: you you can have all the speculation you want about what happened with lena and frank stickler but if that doesn't kind of tie it all together i don't know what else does you know like
0: Hey, may I say, though, that in defense of Frank Stickler, in a way, in his 28-page confession, he really comes clean and admits to all the bad things he did in his life.
2: Mm-hmm. How it
0: started with stealing chickens and moving to other things. He said the thing he was most ashamed of was in 1876, he stole money out of his dad's piggy bank. And oh, wow. He took the train to Tower City went all the way to Philadelphia, where it was the Centennial Exposition. That's where Alexander Graham Bell's phone was, Thomas Edison's light bulb. He spent all the money, came back to Colebrook, and was arrested there and had only five cents in his name. His dad helped bail him out of jail, and that he admitted in his posthumous uh, uh, confession that that's the thing he's most ashamed of. But he seemed to really have peace with God at the end, and I do happen to believe in a heaven, and I think someday I'm going to talk to Frank Stickler there. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, to be able to talk to people like this that that went through what they went through the ordeal, and oh yeah, yeah, it it would be amazing. It would be really amazing. Yeah. So, but yeah. I mean wow, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for sharing this uh Dan. My I appreciate privilege. this and uh
0: thank you guys for perpetuating history.
1: Yeah, not a problem. This was uh it's really fascinating and uh you know, our our show reaches, you know, in fact uh I'd I'd uh, argue to uh say that it reaches beyond um, you know, this area in fact probably more so out of this area than than even locally so uh so the folks that are going to be listening to this uh i'm sure are going to be kind of like intrigued by the story and and want to learn more so that's great yeah so i'm looking
2: and and you said um if you just want to push that
1: book again that you said
2: really kind of breaks it down really nicely what was that book again
0: there's three i'm going to recommend guys obviously you can go online Sure. But the online Wikipedia stuff all comes from three sources that I can attest to. Wayne Onspock, a local guy who died a few years ago.
1: Yeah, I and met he, him, actually. In fact, I got that book.
0: Good. He That's a good one. I I forget Wayne, the name of that Wayne's pamphlet, but you could probably get your hands on that. Mm-hmm. Also, Gary Ludwig wrote a book called The Blue-Eyed Six, A Historical Narrative. And then Edna Carmian wrote a book called the Blue Eyed Six. Those are all yep. great sources.
1: Yeah, and On Spock's print uh, that was from 1992, and it's a reprint from all the 1880 newspaper clippings, yeah.
0: and the so. pamphlet I loaned to Troy.
1: Yeah. Ah, yes.
0: Stuff. Yep. So, and Troy, yeah, didn't you
1: say you were going to sell that on eBay? I yeah. forget. <laughs> uh, we were. I, you weren't supposed to make that public. Now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, that it.
2: I read that pamphlet. I think it was the night you gave it to me actually. And that was so interesting. The confessions of all the guys, especially with Drew's like he, every time, every time you make a confession, somebody else would tell their confession and then he'd want to change his story. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, And for you to have all this knowledge is just incredible. And real quick to put this in context, this was for somewhere in the neighborhood of $8,000. Yeah. Um, and t- today we were talking roughly, I don't know, maybe 150, $200,000, something like that. Can, can you imagine six guys having to split $150,000? Yeah. Well, not even that, because you said Stickler only got $5 of it, which may sure. be like a hundred bucks today. You know, <laughs> I mean, this this is just incredible that this, it's I don't. So, I don't even know what to say. Like, it yeah. shows
0: the degree of poverty they had, and the degree of bad judgment, and the feeling of invincibility they felt. Yeah, well.
1: yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: So,
2: with that being said, like, uh, anything else you want to say to wrap this up? Anybody?
0: No, dudes, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, that Absolutely.
2: would be fun.
1: That would definitely be a lot of fun. Thanks again, Dan. I appreciate uh, every insight that you put out there and uh, all the stuff that we learned from, uh, from, well, your recounts and, uh, and sure. and yeah. I appreciate everything that you've done for uh, all the students at Northern Lebanon and uh, keeping them, you know, informed of local history and how important it yeah. is to, to uh, keep in tune with that.
2: Yeah. yeah and I, I, I too will sentiment that and I'll say thank you. And um, I, I, to be in school, history wasn't always my most favorite subject. However, when I had that Pennsylvania heritage class and it broke it down to more local history, that really intrigued me, mm-hmm. and uh, I-, I can honestly say it was one of my favorite classes I ever took. Yeah. Um, and That's- I'm and I'm sorry that it's not there anymore. And um, yeah. and I-, I guess you still do have a way to tie that in though, from what you were well, saying, I'm right? I
0: to always tie that in as long as I keep yeah. teaching. Uh, but see, what you see happening, guys, is just very briefly here, because high stakes testing focuses mostly on math scores Yes. and English, and English scores, social studies has taken a hit locally mm-hmm. and wide. So we we all, all of us lovers of history need to keep advocating for it mm-hmm. you know, because it, it is such an important part of who we are. And it's called social studies so that we don't just learn it, but we talk about it. The social part is fun and productive, gives us a sense of identity as we recall who we are. And we can be proud to be Lebanon Countyans because every every area has stories of bad guys and things like this. Sure. But
2: I'll tell you what, there's a lot of history in this area. There really is.
0: Yeah.
2: And 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 you know, and I guess we could wrap it up by saying this because we're talking about history. There's a quote that you told us and I'm sure it come from somebody a long time ago. But the quote about history that I'll always remember is about you need to re- learn history because you don't want to repeat. You what? How how does that quote go exactly? Do you yeah, want to the, say it?
0: The British guy, I think, named Santana. He said, "Those who do not remember history, yes, are, are doomed it. to repeat
2: it." To repeat. That's it. Yes, yeah. that's exactly the one I'm thinking of. Yes, that's a real and that and it's such it's such a true statement. And um, you know, it, it even you know we could get down a whole other rabbit hole here. But it even rings so true in today's day and age. Like it just yeah. seems like they, like a lot of the history is wanting to be forgotten about, and there's mm-hmm. so much to learn from it. Yeah, and true. It, it's a shame. Yep. So, thanks again. Appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate your uh, your candor My and pleasure. your and your recounts of all this stuff because it yeah. really is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so, so, best wishes with this. I hope. I hope this has people wanting to learn more and to dig in and find out some other stuff.
1: Yeah. We'll keep but you really updated good. on uh, the response we get from it. So, uh, yes. all right. Hey, thanks again, Dan. You have a great rest of the week. Please. Understand, Thank you.
0: At my age at, at eight 50 in the evening, if I don't soon go to bed, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be an ugly mess in the morning. I need my <laughs> <laughs> Fair Not a problem. You take, take care. care. All right. See you later guys.
2: Yep. See ya.
1: All right. And that was our interview with uh, Dan Hess. And uh, oh, my gosh, uh, brought back memories of ninth grade all over again, Troy. It did.
2: (laughs) What a what a great time and what a
1: compelling story.
2: And um, I don't know, I could just I could learn about them all day. I really could. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting.
1: Yeah, I always had an interest in history, um, but I never had it like at the peak that I'm at now. And I kind of wish I was at that peak. Mm -hmm during his class because there are so many things that i probably would have uh loved to have asked him about the history of this area yeah. and so forth and uh yeah it was really cool it was really cool talking with him it, it brought back memories of me and my uh um, um high school classmate going looking for the grave and mm-hmm. uh it was yeah. just uh, yeah it just reminded me of a lot of things yeah i mean um I did happen to drive by his grave um
2: and I remember by Frank Stickler's grave the one that's yeah. uh, right there in the open and it's got to be I mean if if I'm looking at it correctly it's got to be right on the edge of the uh, Indian Town Gap Seminary or uh, Indian Town Gap land like it's literally right there at the edge yeah it is <laughs> it's, right ro- it's right between two roads it's right between two roads one is a public road and one's but the other one road, yeah. Uh, yeah one's a military road right mm-hmm. so it's easy to see how, uh, you might've, uh, gotten confronted there by, uh, looking in the wrong spot there, maybe, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and like I said, you know, when, when we were looking uh, for that grave, that was when that military base was in full operation. It's, mm-hmm. it's no longer in full operation. It's more of a uh, national guard base at this point, Correct. Uh, but still, but still, there's a lot of action going on there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a fun moment uh, when I got confronted.
0: <laughs> I don't know how fun it
1: was at the time. It wasn't much fun, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what they were protecting out there, but it kind of made me curious. That's for sure. <laughs> I bet. I yeah. bet. So, but if you really look at that area, think about back in 1878. You know, when when that crime took place. Um, I don't know that that place, that area has changed much. <laughs>
2: probably not. Probably not. Um, no. I mean, obviously some roads and stuff were built, um, but other than that, no. I mean, there's still not very many
1: homes right back in that direct no. area, you know. It's a lot of mountain. Um, um, mm-hmm. In fact, it's probably a lot of old mine shafts at this point in time that are just, you know, there and boarded up. Uh, I know I've come across a couple hiking out that way,
2: uh, mm-hmm.
1: but yeah, there's there's not much. And you had mentioned too during the interview that uh, Cold Springs place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you were. I mean, I was kind of looking into that, and uh, and I actually know somebody who is kind of familiar with that. And, okay. And that foundation you saw was that foundation from that place, from the Cold Springs Hotel. It is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's that's what i was and that's what I was hearing and seeing, and they were saying that it was quite the hot spot mm-hmm. that a lot of women, especially from like the Philly area and stuff like that, would spend the weekend up there at this resort or whatever and, yeah uh, that's amazing to really to think something like that you know <laughs> in in such a remote area
1: you know what I, I mean like, so yeah it was it was interesting, and I wonder like I wonder what else went on out that way, you know uh, in that little neck of the woods it just seems like people kind of beat to their own drum out there you know
2: yeah, yeah and maybe <laughs> and maybe that's why they enjoyed going there because they kind of went went there for the weekend and there was no rules and they could take back and do whatever they wanted to do You know? yep exactly
1: exactly so yeah so that was the the story of the blue-eyed six and like i said you know that that really changed the criminal justice system in many ways you know with uh how the court is run how you know you would never see all six people tried at the same time like no way so and also too um you know the person who was acquitted there is no way i i i just don't see how he would have been acquitted without the rest of them being acquitted i know you know i know that didn't make much sense to me either yeah
2: well i guess not necessarily for stickler and uh and well yeah they were the so initiators yeah. of it right
1: all. so yeah
2: and well and brant because brant was supposedly you know as mr has told us was the mastermind he was the one that that uh mm-hmm. i guess originally took out the the insurance yeah um you know policy um so i don't know it's just it's it's weird but they all had a hand in it and yeah and oh, yeah. And, and you know <laughs> i love i love how with uh george zekman he was the one that got acquitted yeah that i don't i don't i don't mean this personally but like within seven years he died yeah. naturally
1: from a. And it from, just sounds like a painful death too right yeah
2: it sounds like he had like uh, according to mr hess was saying like he had boils over his body and i guess he had a hard time breathing and all kinds of stuff like that and um it, it just really makes you wonder if that was God's way of putting justice down, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, or if you want to go with the uh, old ghost folklores of the uh, blue-eyed six, you m- maybe makes you wonder, you know, if he was being haunted by, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> I guess that's another theory, right? Yeah, why not? Let's play the yeah. ghost theory in this too. This son of a gun got
2: off free free skate. Let's go back and get him.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh he might you know who knows maybe even raber helped the rest of the other five who knows (laughs) maybe maybe (laughs) oh Oh. my but yeah that was a it was a really cool story and uh i would definitely love to dive a little bit into some of those more um unsolved mysteries i guess you can say and Mm -hmm. um you know unsolved mysteries are murder cases and you know we had talked about you know the peggy reber case uh you know, that's mm-hmm. another one I wouldn't mind diving into and kind of figuring mm-hmm. out what the yep. heck is going on.
2: And I do have a a contact for that, and I'm going to try to get in touch with her. And, yeah. um, boy, I'll tell you, try to get that lined up either for this week or next, hopefully.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: uh, we'll try to dig into the Peggy Reaver murder case Most and definitely. figure out what we know
1: about that. Most definitely. So, but yeah, um, but yeah, we wanted to uh kind of chat with Dan, and uh, Dan really, uh, um, I he, through. yeah he came through he even provided a little entertainment i didn't realize the guy was such a comedian i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah he is yeah so but yeah that was uh that was our interview with dan hess i hope everyone enjoyed it and uh and hope everyone learned something especially those of us uh list or lo- those of our listeners who aren't from the area i hope you kind of mm-hmm got a, a new interest in uh, what happened around here. It's uh, It really is a cool story. And um, I wonder, you know, there's probably so many of these types of stories throughout, you know, not only the country, but the world. Absolutely. That, you know, that probably people wouldn't mind sharing sometimes. So if you have one of those stories, you know anything about it, reach out to us and uh, and we'll we'll see about talking about it and uh, and going from there.
2: Yeah, because I mean, let's, let's face it. This this story here would have, if we're in today's day and age, this story right now. Yeah, this would be headline news. It this sure would be, would. I mean, this would be all over the country. This would be, you know, Fox News headline, CNN news headline. This would be this would be on those channels and be talked about right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and especially considering like the cover up in it all, like you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like. Stickler made sure he was to drown him without putting any marks on his body and like all that kind of stuff. Like it's just it's amazing all the details they really had about this.
1: Yeah, because when you think about it, the uh you know the, the country area that they're coming from, they're probably not that educated. They're they're probably, sure. you know, they're probably more educated to farm and uh and do that type of work, but they're probably not book smart. Uh-huh. And uh and for them to go through that much thought and that much effort to really if you i mean even even for just $8,000 even though that was a lot of money back then that wasn't a lot of money to kill somebody no. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, um thinking like, thinking like of in, the end
2: result if you get caught
1: yeah like in today's day and age you know if somebody came to me and said hey you know what for $200,000 can you kill troy yeah <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way I could do that for $200,000, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, um, you know, you might make me stop and think and, you know, for $10 million, <laughs> right? No, right. I, I mean, I wouldn't do it for real, but I'm just saying like 10, you know, that just doesn't seem like a lot of money to really right. stop and think because no, I totally get what
2: you're saying. Yeah. Like, you know, th- there comes a point when you get to this, through, you know, you're offered this much money and you're like. Oh wow, that's a lot of money. You know yeah, what I mean, and it ma- yeah. and it makes you at least cross your mind, right? You know, yeah, exactly. You still have your morals and stuff. You are like, no, I wouldn't <laughs> do that, you know, right? But I hope so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, it's you know, I hope everybody listens, and we hope to hear some feedback from this because I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. So,
1: um, yeah. So with that being said, that's pretty much our show for the week, and. uh, And look forward to uh, talking with you folks next week. Yes, sir. So with that being said, you have a good rest of the week, Troy. and uh, You as well. And uh, yeah. And also, by the way, our one year anniversary is coming up and uh, we're in talks with uh, Mount Gretna Brewery and uh, and we're potentially going to uh, do a live show. From there in the uh, Mm -hmm. near future, uh, possibly, you know, around Memorial Day weekend. So um, stay tuned for that and uh, and wait to see what we're going to be doing with that one, because I don't. Yes, sir. (laughs) No, we're still trying to work out
2: all the details, but um, we we definitely do want to do it.
1: So, yep. All right. So with that being said, uh, everybody have a great week and uh, hope the weather starts getting warmer up here, up here in the uh, north side. And uh, everybody down south, stay warm. Until then, uh, stay tuned. Have a great week.
2: Thank you for listening to another episode. Please like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at StayTunedTNH. Email us, StayTunedTNH at gmail.com. And uh, whichever podcast avenue you're listening to us on, Google, Apple, Spotify. Uh, Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And until next week, stay tuned.